Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. What a guest we've got today on the Hamden Roar, seventh on the all-time cap list, it's Davey Weir. Welcome to the Hamden Roar, Davey, so much to get through with you in terms of Scotland's memories, part of some great teams, some very, very close nearly moments. It's uh, It's been a while now, so since we had you in the national team, does it feel like, does it feel like that? It does a wee bit, to be honest, it's um, great memories and um, over a you know, a long period of time, but it's a few years ago now, unfortunately. But like I say, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world and um, had some really good memories that you look back on now and again. So looking forward to having a, a chat about it. Absolutely. I mean, you played for Scotland up until you were about 40. Not too many players do that at international level. No, I mean, I was a late starter, to be fair. I think <laughs> I was mid to late 20s before I got my first cap. But um, uh, my career on the whole, was pretty unusual and I'm, I'm definitely up there with one of the oldest Scottish players and I've got a few records in football, I think most of them revolving around being old in some shape or form, <laughs> so people must think I'm about 70 by now. <laughs> well, let's let's have a, a look back at when you were you were growing up then. You were born in 1970, so what were your earliest memories of Scotland? Is, is the 78 World Cup too early or would it be into the 80s? No, I can remember 78 World Cup and I can remember, you know, you probably don't know, but just back in those days, they were probably some of the only games that were on TV or like cup finals and World Cups and um, big games. So um, I can remember 78 World Cup in Argentina and I can remember, you know, the ups and downs of that and, and watching that and then going out in the back garden and trying to recreate it and, and do all the things that you do as a kid. So, yeah, that like is, is probably, probably about my first sort of memories. I was fortunate in terms of, um, my dad, my dad would take me to football games, so he'd take me to Hamden, whether it be for a cup final or um, or for an international game. So um, I've got good memories of going and watching Scotland v England, and um, as I said, cup finals and different games at Hamden, and obviously that was in the um, good or bad old days. It depends what way you looked at it, off Hamden, and um, so that was sort of my introduction to to international football. Actually, watching the games on TV, but being fortunate enough to go and um, 
sample the atmosphere as a fan. When you, when you were a youngster playing football, was it very much an ambition of yours to try and get to that level? I think it's an ambition of everyone, but is it realistic? As you know, are you? Do you know when it's done that, or it's sort of like a pipe dream to a degree? In fact, you know, as I said, you watch it on TV and it seems so far away, and you listen. To, I mean, even back in the you listen to games on radio and things like that. I can remember doing that as well, and just um, quite a romantic kind of notion. But actually, listening to to Scotland games on the radio and, you know, probably past your bedtime and things like that. And, you know, so it was it was more of a dream than a target, I'd say. But obviously I wanted to, I loved playing football and wanted to play football for as long as I can. But did I think I'd play for Scotland? Probably not. Who were your heroes in the Scotland team then when you were watching them? It was probably like everyone's, it would be Doug Leash and Sunis and Alan Hansen and people like that. You know, Liverpool were probably the best team Um around about that time and it was more probably English-based players if I'm being honest in terms of who were more in the spotlight at that time and and they were the ones that you admired and looked up to and later on probably tried to emulate. (laughs) Well it's interesting you talk about emulating even Kenny Dalgleish because when I was doing my research clarify this for me if you can please that when you were studying and doing your scholarship over in, in Indiana at the University of uh-huh. Evansville as a, an 18, 19-year-old, you were tested as a striker and quite a prolific one at that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think everybody wants to be a striker, don't they? And um, when I was growing up, I was probably played everywhere, really, but never really a striker, if I'm being honest. And then went over to America and as a defender and started as a defender and then actually had an appendicitis, so I was in the hospital Um mid-season which was another story but um, I came back out, came out of hospital, recovered and our striker who we were a good university team, you know like nationally we were competitive and America's a big country with a lot of good teams and our striker was one of the top in the country, probably the top goal scorer in the country at the time and he got injured, he's actually got a bit of Scottish heritage, his name was Rob Patterson and he got injured so I was coming back from injury. The team was relatively settled apart from him. So the coach had the great idea of putting me up front and I, to replace Rob. And I went up front and I started scoring. And obviously I was loving it. Being a yeah. defender turned into a forward, that's definitely the place to play football if you can. <laughs> so um, I spent the rest of my college career, which was going on for three years, as a striker. And I was top goal scorer in the country, I think, my third year. Um, we got, uh, I was an All-American, which is like basically one of the best 11. I was a first-team All-American, which is one of the, be- the best 11 by the sort of panel of coaches in the country at that time. And we got to the final four nationally in the, um, the main competition. Unfortunately, we lost. So we were, it was great. It was great times, great memories, and um, got to travel the world, um, see a bit of the world. Well, got to travel America, saw loads of America, and, and as you know, with Scotland, you also get that opportunity. So that kind of probably opened my eyes to travelling and seeing a bit of the world and, and being a football player, playing in, in different destinations. And when you're in your late teens, early 20s um, over in America, does playing for the Scotland national team seem a million miles away? Or did you feel that you were very much on that trajectory? No, a million miles away. I mean, I I went to America, if I'm being honest, because I wasn't good enough to get a, a pro career here. So that was a, a ways and means of continuing to play football. And obviously I went to university at the same time, which was something I wanted to do as well. So 
it was a perfect solution for me at that time, but it was primarily based around the fact I wasn't going to get a contract here or get a club here. So I went over there, really enjoyed it, but and I did well, as I said, but how you sort of compare that to what's going back on in the UK. UK is the home of football and it's, you know, it's sort of unachievable. So I wanted to do it, but did I think it was realistic? Even getting a career probably was going to be difficult. So to play for Scotland or um, even professionally probably thought was was um, definitely not guaranteed. By the time you came back to Falkirk, it was, you and you were already 22. So you had no involvement with the 21s or anything. No, um, I was I bypassed that comfortably, to be honest. And um, I just came back. I'd probably stayed in America if there was a professional outdoor league. But at the time, there was only an indoor league, and that wasn't for me. I wasn't. I didn't enjoy that. I wanted to do that. So, timing wise, the only way I could really play football was to come back into the UK. And my idea was to go and try and play in England, to be honest. And I had some trials set up in England just by sending letters, as it was at the time, and and getting a couple of replies. But in the meantime, came back home to Falkirk, obviously, and basically ended up at Falkirk um, on a, not even on a trial, just to go in and train. Um, because some of the Falkirk scouts remembered me, and my dad had basically kicked me out the door to get me out of the house while I was waiting. <laughs> so it was pretty much like that that I turned up at Falkirk, Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown's the manager, and um, just started training to try and get fit to go and try and earn a career in England. And, I'd been there a couple of weeks and they offered me a contract. So I took the decision to sign the contract and I was very quickly, I was a professional footballer, which was for me was living the dream at that time. As you say, I was 22. I was a wee bit older, but you know, I felt like I was 14, 15, just going in and getting the first taste of it. So I was, it was really exciting for me and um, at my hometown club as well, which was nice. I didn't have to uh, move too far away from home and um, I was up and running. You moved to Hearts in 96 and your first Scotland call-up came a year later at the end of season, uh, sorry, in May 97. Was Craig Brown someone that had been in contact with you or was the call-up out of the blue? Um, it, it was pretty much out of the blue and I was, <clears throat> um, there have been things mentioned, not a Falkirk, I've got to be honest, but when I went to Hearts, I knew Hearts was a step up, a bigger club and it had a better chance of getting international recognition. And that was part of the reason for me moving was, you know, to try and accelerate my career and try and be involved in cup finals and um, internationally and things like that. So that's was part of the reason I moved. And um, we did well at Hearts. We won the cup. And, and obviously when you start doing things like that and you start being successful and we're competing regularly at the right end of the table with Rangers and Celtic, then you start to get mentioned um, along those lines. But Scotland were... A, a very strong team at the time, as you remember, in terms of the Euros, the World Cups, and had a history of qualifying. So it wasn't an easy team to get into. Um, it used to be said at the time, it was actually harder to get out of it. Um, <laughs> because, it, you know, once you were in, Craig was very loyal and they kept you in. But it was really difficult to get in. But once you were in, you know, you were in. And um, it was you had to earn your stripes. You had to deserve the right to get in. But once you were in, then Craig and still is, is a very loyal person and very supportive. And um, you have to, um, you know, you have to do a lot wrong to, to leave the squad. It was quite a rough debut, I suppose, losing to Wales at Rugby Park, but you played the full 90. How do you look back on that and remember the lead up to it? I remember it well, yeah. It was in, the game was in Kilmark. It was at Rugby Park. It was an end of season game. 
um, John Hartson was playing for Wales as well. And we had probably four or five players making our debut from memory, Christian Daly and Neil Sullivan, um, Brian McAllister, we played at Wimbledon as well. There was a few debuts at that time and it was Craig sort of blood and some of the, I'm saying younger, I wasn't particularly young, but some new players and and bring them into the squad to supplement the players that were already there. And um, although it was a it was a friendly for me, it was a massive game. You know, my first game for Scotland and my family were all there, and it was a very proud moment. The uh, you also played France in one of your first games for Scotland. That must have been a big test in '97. Did you easily feel the step up from playing domestically to then suddenly playing against top class opposition like that? Um, I, I never really thought about that. I never that never really worried me. To be honest, I was always quite comfortable. You know, maybe going away from home early and living abroad and things like that. I never really phased by playing against different people or or being in different places. So I just accepted the challenge. I'd kind of came up, you know, through the college system, then Falkirk, then Hearts, and just kind of progressed. And so the international football felt like the next step. And obviously, you're playing against some unbelievable players and players you've only seen on TV. But I genuinely wasn't intimidated by that. It didn't really bother me, especially when you're a wee bit younger, you're fearless and you just go and give your best and, and hope for the best. And that was kind of kind of how it was. I mean, games like that are never going to be easy. And um, Although we did have some success against France. Going <laughs> that one ended very well. I've got a feeling we'll come to that. Um, the, the World Cup 98 uh, came around quite quickly for you. As you say, you weren't mm. young. You were 27 or 28 by this point, but you were yeah. relatively inexperienced at international level. Mm. Did you have... Uh, an inkling or a feeling that you were going to be involved or did it come as a nice surprise? It was, I was in and around it because obviously I'd made my debut. I think I'd made five caps or I got five caps when we went to the World Cup and, you know, played in a few friendlies. And as I said, in Craig's time, it was a matter of, you know, you had to, you did really well to get in the squad. And then when you were in the squad, you were on the bench for, a you know, a period of time. And, you know, you had to wait for your chance. You'd maybe get some substitute appearances and then, eventually you might get a start in a friendly game. That's kind of how it worked. You know, it was very, it was a process and it was, you had to go through that process to earn the right to get in the team. And it, it was a really um, enjoyable time. I used to love going away with the national team, even when I wasn't playing. You know, I used to love going away and listening to all the other players talking about their stories, about their clubs and and just being around the national team at that time was really fun. We, we'd stay in majority time in the Marine Highland Hotel down at Troon and, and maybe get a game of golf now and again and be watching movies in the afternoon and um, Masseur would be coming around your room with chocolate at night. I thought I'd landed <laughs> in heaven. You know, I was like, I was loving life. We're getting top food, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner and getting looked after like a king and training and playing Ch- football. So championship were, golf course there. <laughs> I know, yeah, exactly. So you're, you're just living the dream. So it was, it was really great memories, to be honest, that of my introduction and and Craig was so well prepared, you know, ahead of his time in terms of, you know, using the time wisely with the squad, watching videos, watching opposition, um, you know, being prepared, but also um, making you aware of how good Scotland were and how other teams perceived us and how we had a real chance to beat anybody at any time. And that was the belief around about the place at the time that there was a real confidence around the group and some really top senior players, you know, Going back, Gary McAllister, John Collins, Colin Hendrys, Colin Calderwoods, Tom Boyd, Jim Laytons, Gorham's, McCoys, you know, people like that. Some some really experienced top players. And I was like fans of all these players. And then all of a sudden you're, you're in and around um, squads with them. And, you know, I, I loved it. I was 
you know, some of the best times of my career. So you, you very much felt like you belonged in that company then, despite your inexperience. I, I wouldn't say I belonged. I, I was, you know, I, was, I, I like to think I was respectful of what those players had done in their careers and where I was in mine, but I wasn't, I wasn't you know, I, I wasn't nervous in terms of football-wise. I, I felt I could compete football-wise. And, you know, being a footballer, you're very used to that feeling. You go into a training session or a, a game or whatever, and you're judged by what you do on the pitch. And then, obviously, how you act off the pitch is, you know, complements that. But I, it was a very welcoming environment. It was like going into a family. Genuinely, it was like that, you know, in the hotel. And the lads who'd been there for a long time had their roommates and, you know, the routines. And, and you just fitted in with that. And very quickly, you, you know, Craig made you feel very welcome. Craig, you know, we'd welcome you in. He'd speak to you. He'd introduce you to the group. He's, you know, Craig's a gentleman. I'm that's dealt with him. So you come in in the right manner. You're not dropped in and then left to get on with it. It's... As I said, it's a process and, you know, Craig was very good and meticulous in terms of how he did it. What did you expect your role to be going over to France? You played well, half the games, I suppose, two, three yeah. games. You played 90 minutes plus nearly 45. So you were pretty heavily involved. Yeah, and I went over with no expectations. I was just delighted. I think you mentioned earlier, you know, my expectations in the squad. I, I was hoping I was going to be in the squad, but I wasn't expecting it. So when the squad got named, I was delighted and probably didn't realise the significance of it because Scotland were used to being in championships and used to being at World Cups and Euros. And, and I probably thought, oh, well, if I miss this one, I might get the next one sort of thing. So um, I, was, I was delighted to get involved. And I went over just with the premise of being there and enjoying it. And if I got a chance, brilliant. And as it happened, I wasn't involved in the first game against Brazil. Um, not expecting to be in the second game against Norway in the first half, Colin Calderwood, I'm not sure what happened, but he injured his hand and his wrist. And very quickly it became apparent that he wasn't able to continue. So Craig sent myself, um, Matt Elliott, and I think Jackie McNamara to go and get warmed up. And we were thinking, you know, getting warmed up and thinking, right, somebody's gone on, who's gone on? And so it was one of them. And fortunately he shouted me back and I went on and, um, that was it. I played in the World Cup and we ended up drawing one-one. I I was involved in the goal a little bit, and you know it was a it was a great feeling to to have that kind of adding that to your armory or your career or you know sampling that enjoyment of actually you know being on the pitch. But as I said, it happened very quickly, and I wasn't really expecting it. It was probably a good thing. How how do you find out that you've been called up to the World Cup squad? Is it very formal and you get a letter and stuff like that? Or is it as simple as a phone call from the manager saying, congratulations, you're in? I'm trying to remember. I think, like, I, I would imagine, it, like, the phone calls and stuff would be more for the lads who were left out. I think it would probably be more you'd read about it or you'd hear about it or maybe contact the club. I'm, I'm struggling to remember, to be honest. I just think, I think, knowing Craig, I think the phone calls would be to the lads who weren't going to be in it. And that would be a more personal approach, whereas the guys we were in it um, probably just found out through the usual means, which would be a letter to your club or um, in the media sometimes as well. You mentioned you weren't involved against Brazil. You, you didn't expect to be involved. There must have still been a hint of disappointment in not being able to have a crack against Ronaldo and some of the best on earth. Um. Of course, I would have loved to have been involved, but I knew that the guys who were involved were ahead of me in the queue and deserved that opportunity. And 
I was delighted to be there. I genuinely was. I, I some of my best memories are being on the pitch before the game, being on the pitch at half time, and seeing the Scottish fans bouncing in that stadium and and the music. And I can still, I can almost picture it now. You know, the music playing and and the Scottish fans bouncing, and I had a great time. Just as you say, watching these players playing and watching them coming out and. You know, seeing Scotland compete at that level and knowing your family and your friends were there watching the game. So it was like a carnival. It was like a party and um, just felt part of that. So as much as I would have liked to play, I wasn't expecting it. And I still definitely enjoyed the experience. Did you think a result was on as we headed into the last 20 minutes or so? Like I say, with Scotland at that time, you, you always felt like you had a chance to result. You know, that genuinely was the case. You felt like you could compete with anyone and um, that was no different. We were definitely in the game and you know, a top team and ultimately didn't work out. But, you know, I definitely felt we had a chance. How how did Craig Brown and the players prepare for that game? It, it doesn't really come much bigger from a Scottish perspective. We're not really going to go deep into a, a tournament. So opening the World Cup against the holders is just about as big as it gets. Yeah, and we were aware of that. And we, you know, we the Prime Minister flew in to see us at Tony Blair at the time, and you know we realised the significance of the game. We knew it was a it was a massive game, and but Craig, you know, was very understated and very well organised and meticulous, as I said. And there was a a procedure and a plan, and that game just followed the, you know, the same routine that the other games followed. We felt we had a chance. We prepared properly. We, you know, we never overcomplicated it, and we just did what what we were going to do. I mean, some things were different. We wore kilts to the game. We wore kilts as we walked out on the party prance. We, you know, we'd, we'd done various things building up to going to the World Cup that, you know, were new to me in terms of promotions and, and different things that made it different. And you were away for, you know, what could be a month or two weeks, depending on how well you did. So there was some things that were different and new, but in terms of preparation, it was very simple and very, um, very routine in terms of what we'd always do. The the game against Morocco, you you played from the start. Uh-huh. A, a, pride, a a mix of pride at getting this getting a start in a World Cup game, but the way it ended must have been a total sickener. Yeah, that was that's the ultimate memory from that game is you know losing and losing three 0 which seems a heavy defeat. We I think Craig Burley got sent off and the game was one 0 for a a long period of time and. You know, we were in it and, the, I mean, the memory was, you know, if we won that game, we had a really good chance of going through. So we thought we were in a decent position, but Morocco were a good team. That's the other thing as well. So, and they obviously actually ended up beating us and they didn't qualify, which was, you know, doubly disappointing for them because Norway beat Brazil in the other game. So, you know, ultimately, no matter what they happened, we wouldn't have qualified, which was the game, but it was doubled by, you know, the nature of the defeat and, and you know, playing the World Cup and coming home again early, which was the criticism of Scotland at the time. You know, we always made it, but we never got out of the group stages. I get the impression that everyone involved with the national team at that point felt Scotland's squad was was very, very capable. I interviewed Craig Brown for this podcast to about two years ago now, and we were talking about the current setup and the players that we'd got. And, and he was saying that he feels sorry for Strachan and McLeish as it was at the time before Steve Clark, because... The, the players available now, he said, are, are not a patch on the players that we had in, in the late 90s. How, how would you align with that? I think it's that's debatable. And I think, you know, it's hard to compare eras. I think it's 
unfortunate. I think you could probably argue that the rest of the world's got better. I think that there's an element of that as well. But you know, Craig, one of Craig's great skills was, as I said, he always made you feel you could win. And he always, respectfully, because everything he does was with respect, but he'd belittle the opposition. You know, he'd almost make you feel like you had a chance against them, no matter who they were. And he'd, you know, he'd, he'd some funny stories just in terms of, you know, how he put that across about comparing top players to players that are playing in Scotland and things like that, you know. So he was he was very clever in how he how he framed it for you. And, you know, he made you feel good as a team and as a unit. And he made you um, feel eight feet tall. And he sometimes made great players look very ordinary or you thought of them in ordinary terms, which really helped, you know, in terms of that dynamic. So um, Craig was always very positive about his players and his team. And that remains the case, obviously. But I think there's still some very good players in, in the Scotland setup just now. So I think it's hard to compare. So at the World Cup then, if if uh, we're about to take to the field against the likes of Ronaldo or, or Hadji, Craig Brown before the game is is trying to minimise the way in which we look at them and fear them. Yeah, and make them human. You know, just, just kind of take away the myths and take away the, you know, talk about our strengths and talk about our unity and what we can use to compete with them. And, you know, just, just like kind of play with your mind a little bit to make you to make you feel it was possible and, and make you positive about yourselves, which is, you know, what we all know in the, when you're in a positive frame of mind, you're confident and you believe in yourself, then you're going to do better. And that was definitely the environment at the time. And the support staff were exactly the same. The support staff made it fun. Um, they made it enjoyable. You know, they made you relaxed. And I think when you're in that frame of mind, then you're going to do better. The, uh, the Euro 2000 qualifiers came along and you were pretty much a, a regular pick in the Scotland team at this point. You'd worked your way in the, the group with the Czech Republic, Bosnia, Faroes and Lithuania uh, was was won easily by the Czechs. They won every game, but we reached the playoffs fairly comfortably. We beat Bosnia home and away in the, the games that really mattered. Um, the, the win away to Bosnia seems like, looking back, a really important one and if you were to draw comparisons with, with these days, it, it's easily a game that you would be worried about Scotland going yeah. to, to Bosnia and, and slipping up in. Was it similar back then? Yeah, it was. And really good, these are all really good teams. You know, we, we even now we underestimate the, the quality in these teams and the, and the personnel within these teams and, and going away anywhere in Europe, nationally and at club level is really, really difficult just by in terms of the logistics and what you face in terms of the pitches, the, the preparation, just everything that goes alongside it. So to go away and win anywhere is really, really difficult. And you know, these are big games, they're qualifiers, they're very important. So we had we had a really strong side and it was starting to kind of, you know, the World Cup team had kind of broken up a little bit, I think, and Craig was starting to kind of build a new team and, and thinking about building a new team. And um, he was under a bit of pressure, Craig, because that's the nature of being Scotland manager and he had the reputation for playing older players and there was a lot of sort of talk about him playing younger players, bringing freshening up and, and all these things. And, you know, there was there was still quite a lot going on as there always is with Scottish football, but we were still a strong team and Craig was, you know, blooding some younger players in and, you know, myself and like Jackie McNamara, Simon Donnelly, um, people like that who were playing at decent levels were, were starting to get involved as well. So there was a bit of change in the guard and, and to still get results and be competitive within that after a really strong era of a competitive team was 
was difficult. The, the playoff draw was a random one. It wasn't seeded like it is these days. We could have drawn mm. Ireland or Israel or Slovenia teams that probably we were above at that stage, or I like to think we were anyway. We drew England. Can you remember the moment when, when that happened or when when it re we realised that, OK, we've got to beat England to get to the Euros? Yeah, I think you can almost expect that with Scotland, don't you? Sitting watching the draw, you're like, right, who do we not want, right? That's probably who we're <laughs> going to get. And that was kind of how it worked, I think. So, I mean, when we get, you get the draw, you're, you're a bit... The initial reaction is, oh, no, that's going to be hard. And then your second reaction is like, what a great opportunity that is to beat England and go to the, go to the Euros. So it was very exciting. You know, it was obviously um, built up in terms of, I think, from memory, I think the home internationals are stopped at that time. So I don't think we were playing England every year. So that was probably the first time we played them for a while. And it was going to be a double header back to back. So it was a massive game and a massive occasion. And you can imagine the, the fans and the demands for the tickets. So it was very exciting. And it was obviously, it was a competitive game as well, which or games which um, doubled the, the importance and the excitement around about it. Was that a sense of build-up and occasion to rival the World Cup in 98? Definitely. I mean, some of those games, and I'm sure you go on a few afterwards, just the, like the build-up and the um, sort of noise around the games was, was crazy. It really was. And then even just driving the games, the people and the atmosphere, and obviously in these days and ages where you're going to games with nobody there, this was the complete opposite. It felt like the whole country was, was at the game, watching the game and, and at the stadium and and that was the, the sort of build-up from days and weeks before. You know, it was the most important thing going on. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody cared about it. And you felt like you were kind of carrying the, the country on your back. What was your role in that game? Who did you have to deal with? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Shearer and Owen from memory. I might be wrong. But, I mean, Beckham was playing and Paul Scholes was playing. It was a creme de la creme English football. You know, it was all the... Like my era, my generation, players I played against, it was all the best ones were playing on the same team. So it was almost like a Premier League select against against Scotland. And um, so, but they could have picked five or six other strikers, you know, in terms of the quality, you know, whoever they threw in, they had um, players that numerous clubs throughout England and in the continent who could come in and be a handful. So you knew whoever you were going to face, it was going to be a tough time because of the quality that England had. Can you remember at full time if it was a very dejected atmosphere, um, almost acceptance of the outcome, or it was more about, right, we've got another 90 minutes, let's pick ourselves up and, and go for this dejected. again? It was definitely dejected because we lost, you know, we lost at home and, you know, the build-up had been massive and um, we still, you know, ultimately thought, it's going to be really, really difficult. So you're coming in, you've lost the game, you're going to be disappointed. And I can remember Craig Brown like being one of the only people who was positive about it, saying, we've still got a chance here. You've got to believe we've still got a chance. And that's hard to take immediately after the game. But he continued that talk for the next couple of days and, and we started to probably buy in. Initially, we were probably going, yeah, you're going to say that, but it's going to be really hard. So, but Craig, 100%, you know, straight after the game, started to getting to us that this wasn't finished. England will switch off. They'll think they've done it. You know, they think, you know, we've got an opportunity here to go down to Wembley and to, to shock them. And it'll be the best result we've ever had. So it was one of them, you know, slowly started to build us up and make it seem like it was possible. But after the game, the disappointment was evident, no doubt. 
So before the game then at Wembley or even on the way down, is the cynicism, some of the cynicism from the players' point of view towards Craig Brown's uh, management saying that, oh, you know, we've got a chance here, let's do this, and the players maybe not believing it. By the time kickoff comes around, are you fully pumped believing that, yes, this is possible, let's do this? That's the nature of football. You know, you, you have a disappointment in a game and then, you know, how long that disappointment lives with you it depends on the individual. But you, by the time the next game comes around, you're ready to go again and you're ready to go into the fight again and you, you'll back yourself. And that was the case. But Craig had a lot of time to work with us and a lot of time to speak to us about it and a lot of time to, um, along with his staff to to get that message across and he genuinely believed it. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a bluff. It was he genuinely believed it and he made you believe it. So by the time the game came round, you know, he'd made a few changes and freshened it up and you know he'd he'd gone probably more attacking than Craig usually would. So um it was exciting and we knew we had nothing to lose. You know, people had written us off and they weren't really expecting us to win so or or have a chance. So um we just kind of went for it and we had we had a confidence around us, definitely. Even Kevin Keegan said after the great the game to to Craig Brown that if if we had got the second, he felt there was only one winner. Whether it went to yeah. extra time or not, he, he felt that his his side would have would have collapsed under that. Yeah, I don't know if they'd collapsed, but I mean that was the feeling, and I don't like saying that because it's hypothetical and it's it's almost like a hard luck story and you know one of them. But that genuinely was the feeling in the game. Christian had a header. Christian Daly that. Um, David Seaman saved, or it hit him really, anywhere else that was in the goal. And that had been 2-0 um, towards the end of the game. And they were hanging on. You know, what would have happened after that? Nobody knows, because they had some top players and um, how they reacted, nobody really knows. But we were definitely in the ascendancy. And we played well in the game. We were the better team. So and momentum was definitely in our favour. But it didn't happen. And unfortunately, we were we when they got into the Euros. Can you remember the, the moment? I know it's... It's hard. I'm sure these games pass by in a blur and then it's just a big mixing bowl of moments. But can you pinpoint the moment that Hutchison put us ahead and, and the troops yeah. were kind of rallied? Yeah, I can remember the whole thing. I remember the fans again, just the noise they made in the stadium. Felt like the stadium was full of Scotland fans. You know, it was just an, an unbelievable experience. I was excited just to be at Wembley, the old Wembley, walking out that tunnel and the long walk to the pitch. And the fans were quite far away from the pitch, but the atmosphere was was unreal so it was I, I can remember a lot about that game that's not really normal for me to be honest so it was a significant game and a significant experience and one even although we won but we lost it's you know it's one of one of the great nights of my career even though it's a, a great night in isolation was the dejection and the disappointment still very very evident after the game or what it was it heads held high I think it was heads held high I think we knew we'd give a good account of ourselves. We were a bit unfortunate we never went through. But we'd gone there and we'd scared them, I think. And, you know, we'd shown we were a capable team. Ultimately, it's disappointing. But I think if there's different kinds of disappointment, I think you can be disappointed knowing you've done your best and had a go. And you can be disappointed knowing, you know, you've you've sat and took it. And I think we definitely had a go and, you know, gave a good account of ourselves. The qualifiers for the 2002 World Cup saw us paired with Belgium, Croatia, Latvia and San Marino. That It would be an, an absolute nightmare draw these days. But back in 2002, that still gave us a possible route to the World Cup. And if it wasn't for the 2-2 draw against Belgium at Hamden, then we, we would have made the playoffs. That, that, that is the, 
the standout moment of the qualifying campaign there. Yeah, I remember that game well as well. I remember we were 2 0 up in that game, or was it? They went down to 10 men um, and they scored a late goal, a header. Mark Wilmot scored the header. Or, or not, sorry, it wasn't Mark Wilmot scored, but it was Van Boyten, I think, yeah. who scored the header yeah. late on the game. So, again, that's one of, you know, another real disappointment. You know, they, they had a player sent off. We went, I think we went 2 0 up. Billy Dodds. Billy Dodds got double, yeah. Yeah, and you know that was like a real slap in the face. That was that was a tough one to take. That was horrible. Belgium were a good team, you know the players have mentioned, and um, we we were the better team. And sort of circumstances went our way, and we just never capitalised on it. So that was really really disappointing. The the results against Croatia uh, in that group as well were, were fine. Um, it was it was the one against Belgium that really stuck the knife in us because they finished two points ahead of us in the group. If we had held on, then then that's all the all the difference. It, as you as you mentioned earlier, it's all hypotheticals and if buts and maybes when looking back on these things. But when you can pinpoint one result in isolation, is it is that a bit harder to to take knowing oh if only that had happened or does it make it easier? Uh- I think, you know, we experienced at one time, at the time you do pinpoint, you know, the one game and the one that got away from you. But, I mean, the group, there's 10 games or eight games or whatever it may be, they all count. They're all important and no one's more important than the others. Obviously, the later ones become more important because you kind of know where you are. But, you know, every game's important. And Craig, again, you know, just talking about Craig again in terms of how he approached it, he always used to try and set up the game so that, it kind of suited what he wanted. So playing maybe the favourite away from home in the first game, like whatever it may be. So he'd try and he'd have a strategy and a plan in order how he wanted the games to fall to give us the best chance. He always felt like in the first game of the tournament, maybe the the best team will have a new squad and you might have a chance of going away and winning. Something like that, you know, along those lines. There'll be a strategy behind it. And that was, that's my kind of, there's a real skill in terms of a group, getting through a group and, and how you do it, you know, obviously you've got to win games, you've got to play well, but, you know, how you give yourself the best chance and how you try and create any edges or find any edges that you can to to help you with that. So um, all the games are important. And that Belgium one is a sore one for the reasons I've said, because it was set up for us to win and we didn't manage to do it. Yeah, only th- three, it was the only defeat in the group was uh, away to Belgium. We had three draws in total uh, against Croatia and Belgium. Uh-huh. And then we, we took care of the... The other results, I think there was a, a San Marino and Latvia. That was um, they were maximum points for, from that one. Yeah. Um, and Craig Brown stepped down at the yeah, end. But I remember even Latvia. I can remember playing Latvia away, which is a difficult game. I think Neil McCann scored and we won one 0 And that, like, even that, that was a really difficult game. So you know, they, they don't come easy. You know, to get in a position where you're one game away from qualifying or or potentially qualifying, you know, you've got to do the work in all these other games as well. That's my point about the significance of all these other games as well, that you know, a lot of people take for granted, but it doesn't work like that. You know, you've got to go to these difficult places, difficult pitches and, and find a way to get a result. And, you know, we were pretty efficient at that up to the um, to the to the last one on, on a couple of occasions. Were you sad when Craig Brown decided that it, enough was enough at the end of that campaign and moved on? Um, yeah, I was sad, definitely. And you know, I think Craig, and I think history will show you, was 
underestimated in terms of a coach and what he did and, and how he went about things. I've said before, I think he was ahead of his time and how he prepared teams and his methods and he's um, very intelligent in terms of how he set things up and, and the process and, and the stability he had from being an assistant and having the experience of working in the system with Andy Roxburgh and then taking over and and just tweaking certain things and you know loyalty he had to the players and the loyalty he got back and the environment he created. So it was it was an end of an era and there was a media sort of campaign to to kind of end it for a, a while before that and you know we wanted new ideas and you know different things and you know I think it's a prime example of be be very careful what you wish for. Does it seep through to the players and maybe cause a bit of uh, tension um, and spite when they think that the the national press and the media are out to try and try and target their boss? Yeah, well, it's not just the boss. I mean, that's we all know how Scotland works, and the media is full on, and you know there's pros and cons to that, and that's just our nature as a as a country and and the way we work. We're very quick to criticise and very quick to praise, probably, you know, quite emotional in that regard, and football means so much to us, but, you know, Craig, we had so much loyalty for Craig that, you know, we just, we knew the only answer was to be successful on the pitch, that was the, the best answer, to qualify for tournaments, or um, Scotland at that time were used to qualifying, so when we started to not qualify, then it became magnified, and that that was the problem, but, you know, Craig, um Craig's legacy will be, you know, is there for everyone to see and, and what he's done and what he's contributed to him and how people speak about him because of how good he was. Can you remember when you heard that Bertie Volks was going to be the new Scotland manager? Um, I can't remember when I heard it, but I knew sort of that was the kind of route that the SFA were going down. You know, it was to be a little bit left field, a little bit more modern, and it obviously had a, a very successful career as a manager as well. So, um, you could see why it would work and you could see why it was attractive. So I can't remember where it was, no, but I can remember, obviously, the kind of process around about it. But was there a bit of excitement because it was unusual? Yeah, definitely there was excitement. And, you know, Bertie Volks was a top player and a, and a very successful manager. I think he'd won the Euros or he'd been involved with, with Germany when they won the Euros. So... You know, you, you were bringing in somebody with a really big reputation and it was a big step for Scotland to actually get him here. So, yeah, it was exciting. And obviously there's a, a disappointment that Craig had left, but, you know, we all know in football that managers leave and you've got to try and impress the next one. What was your first impression of him? Because he does hold such stature in European football, uh-huh. very successful as a player and manager. Did you get the, an aura off him at all when, when he turned up to training? Um, yeah, I bet I did. He was like, he had Tommy Burns with him, I think, as his assistant from memory. And Tommy was, you know, I, he was a nice, Bertie was a really nice guy. He genuinely was a nice guy. He was very friendly and very hospitable. And like my overriding kind of memory was that he didn't speak the language too well. He couldn't really communicate too well. He could, he had, he could speak English, but it wasn't, a, wasn't he clear enough, was, was kind of my impression. And Tommy kind of, took over the reins with that and kind of tried to smooth that, which is which is understandable. And we all see that now in the Premier League. You know, that's that's normal. But for us at the time, it was probably um it was probably quite a big step. Starting with a 5-0 defeat away to France really wasn't perfect. It's a nightmare first game for a new manager because 
even to to see what I suppose you can get an opportunity, right? Let's see what my players are made of. But that's that's a real baptism of fire, especially when you're calling up new players and trying new things. Yeah, I think that was it. It was a combination of that. There was a lot of new players. Bertie was getting to know the players. You're playing against probably the best team in the world at the time. Probably one of the best teams in history, to be honest, when you think of the players that were playing in that game and, and what they'd done relatively recently. So it was a baptism of fire and it was it was a tough night. And um, it was only probably only to be expected when you look back and you look at you know how new we were as a team and, and how good they were as a team and all the things that had gone around it, but it's never nice to lose five 0 And um, on that occasion, it was it was probably a fair scoreline. How did you feel at that point? Because into your thirties, Bertie's bringing through many players that haven't really been involved before for Scotland, including defenders. I mean, Morris Ross, uh, Stockdale, Graham Alexander, Lee Wilkie. These are guys that are coming to to challenge you. Mm-hmm. And that's part of football. I, I have no problem with that. And I've been through the other end of that process when I'm trying to get in the team with Colin Codlewood and Tom Boyd and Colin Hendry and uh, Matt Elliott and, and people like that. So that that's part of the process. That's part of football. So that that wasn't a worry for me. It was it was, you know, that that's been a footballer is you've got to compete and you've got to be you've got to win the battle, you've got to try and get in the team. That's kind of how it worked. But you know, and I, I liked that challenge, I enjoyed that challenge and um, I was happy to take it on. The The results certainly didn't go Bertie's way uh, at the start. I've mentioned the France one, but soon after that, there were defeats to Nigeria, South Korea, South Africa. And we drew with the Pharaohs. Was there a, a feeling in your gut that this is heading in the wrong direction? Um, I think, yeah, <laughs> I'm being honest. And, you know, some of those games you talk about, like Nigeria and South Korea and you know, we went to um, Korea to play in games in Japan and over, you know, there to play in games and really difficult places against teams that were going to the World Cup um, with, you know, all guns blazing. And we had a new team with, as you mentioned, players coming in, a new manager. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of things going on there. So we weren't a settled team with a, a new manager, a new style, a new kind of way of working. And there's always going to be hiccups along the way so and you're playing against good teams so it was a really difficult start and um, as much as I, I loved going away with Scotland you know I went away everywhere I, I went to Korea I've been to Hong Kong I've been to everywhere and I'm not asking for praise for that but I was genuinely committed but it was getting to the stage where I was feeling that Bertie wasn't really having me as a player at that time and I wasn't enjoying it as much as I'd previously done. So it was it was kind of going, you know, wrong in, in a few directions. I had a young family and, you know, as I said, you're going away for two weeks at a time and going at the end of the season, missing holidays and things like that, which is no problem. And I've done it and I'll continue to do it um, when you felt you were part of something. But I got the feeling that I personally wasn't really part of the um, the future. With, with that manager so for me it was kind of I gave it every chance but I just felt like I was I was fighting a losing battle really You, you did go two and a half years without a cap after we drew 2-2 with the Faroe Islands uh-huh. you, you played one more time under Bertie Volks that was against Italy what was that down to? Did you withdraw yourself from selection or did Bertie Volks just <laughs> stop calling you up? 
Um, no, it was pretty. It was pretty much me. I mean, it was mutual to be honest. I knew that Bertie wasn't going to play me, <clears throat> and uh, you know, we basically come to the agreement that there was no point in me being there. There was no. I, I wasn't at the stage in my career. I was, you know, I was older then. I was still fighting for my Everton career. I was fighting off battles at Everton, so it was almost like a a kind of mutual agreement. But it was my decision to 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 step away from it because. You know, it wasn't it wasn't working for either party. So it went, like it wasn't enjoyable in any shape or form. Because as I've said, I loved playing for Scotland. I genuinely did. It was um I looked forward to going away. I looked forward to the travelling was never a chore. I loved being in the hotel with the players. I loved going to the games, playing in the games. And um to kind of you know not do that any longer was a massive decision. And and I really regret it now in terms of you know that two and a half years not you know missing that. But at the time, it was the right thing to do. And, you know, I'm not somebody that jumps into something that's not my nature. So it was well thought out. And obviously speaking to my manager, Everton, David Moyes at the time, I just felt it was the right thing. Did it frustrate you considering you were a Premier League defender and weren't being considered for selection in Scotland's eleven? Like I said, it was, more my, it was more my decision. So it didn't frustrate me because I'd been involved in the process. So I, I, I had no argument, I had no case. So... Sometimes if the manager doesn't really fancy you, doesn't fancy you, I, I, you know, it's hard to change that if you're not getting on the pitch. So I just went and focused on my Everton career and got on with that and um, probably prolonged my career, if I'm being honest, in terms of you know the benefits of not having to go away and, and be involved in, in some of the things that were going on, which international football, believe it or not, that can be the case. And that, that was a big part of my reasoning. I was getting a bit older. I was going away for these um, games which were, on the whole, were really difficult and negative outcomes. And coming back to Everton, trying to stay in the team or getting the team, whatever it was at the time, and I felt like being away with Scotland was really hurting that, was really affecting it. And um, if I wasn't playing, wasn't training enough, and then coming back for a stand and start, I found it really difficult. So that was a big part of my reasoning as well. Podcast Network.